Amen. Thanks, Sarah. I am feeling the push to pray, so can we pray? Lord, may we right now make the decision that we don't want to just hear your word. We don't want to just look at the lyrics on the screen and the songs that we sing. We don't want to go through the motions. We want to encounter you, the one true living God. And so, God, would you speak to your people, your words, help us see clearly who you are, and to respond with yes, respond in faithfulness. And God, I pray, I pray for those of us, including myself, just teaching me lately, are so, we can be so afraid to make a mistake, so afraid to fail or to be seen in a certain way by others. God, would you help us to know that's not how you see us? You continue to pour out your love, your grace, your forgiveness. You continue to lead us. You continue to be proud of your people. Help us not to be afraid. Help us pursue you and give us a hunger, Lord Jesus, for you. Amen. There are many interesting questions you could ask someone when you're trying to get to know them. I have a couple that are my favorite. This one would be on there as well. Here's an interesting question you can ask someone when you're trying to get to know them a little better. Who is your hero? Or you could say it in another way, who are the heroes, like the list of heroes that you've had so far in your life? And you'll probably get a mix of different answers from different people. It might be a parent, it might be an actress, or an actor, or an artist, or someone who's very skilled at a profession that you admire or that you enjoy. There might be a variety of answers to that question, and they change over the years. Who is your hero? If you were to ask somebody in the middle-ish of the first century, during the time that Hebrews was spoken and then, and then later written, if you were to ask a Hebrew, a Jewish person, who their hero was, it's likely that many of them would have had the same answer. Their hero, many of them might have said, was Moses. Here's the main idea for the passage today in Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. Respect your heroes. Worship God alone. Respect. We can respect our heroes, but worship God alone. For our roadmap, the direction of the message today, verse 1 causes us to consider what has already been revealed so far in Hebrews, in the message. Next, in verses 2 to 6, we see this comparison but also contrast of Moses with Christ. And then finally, in verse 6, there's another admonition to carry on in the faith. That's the direction of the message today. So first, consider what's been revealed so far. Because if you look at verse 1 in chapter 3, it starts by saying, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. So stop after, after the word therefore, because why is it there? He's reminding them, after everything we've said, every, after everything the, the speaker has said so far, I want you to consider and I want you to think about your heavenly calling. But what has he said so far? A little bit of background. We'll summarize it for you. What have we heard so far in chapters 1 through 3? 
It's been about Jesus and about how Jesus is better. Jesus is the better final climactic word. He is the better messenger. He is the better news, the better glory. And as we talked about two weeks ago, he is creating a better family. He is our proud, unashamed older brother who, in order to get us into the family of God, was the pioneer of our salvation, who delivered us, who was the propitiation, the the sacrifice for our sins, our proud older brother that gets us into the family of God. It's been all about Christ and how he's better and he's worthy to continue pursuing even when life is hard, even when it would be easier to revert to another way of life, to a previous way of life, to another teacher, etc. Continue pursuing Jesus. He is better. He's the one that gets us into the family of God and that's why he says we are holy, set apart, brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling. I want to stop there a second. We share a heavenly calling. Bonds are created with people in life over shared fill-in-the-blank, shared experiences, shared interests, shared suffering, shared family, shared ethnicity, shared stage of life. Go on and on and on this is how bonds are created and, fo- and formed. The greatest bond any two people can have in this life is that they share this heavenly calling, that they're part of the family of God. It's one of the wonders of the church around the world that you have people from all stages of life, from every diverse background around the entire world that come together and have the... What brings you together like this? It's a heavenly calling. It's Jesus who has welcomed us into the family of God. So he says, let's consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, verse 1. When he says consider Jesus, he does not mean from time to time, if you feel like it, if you want to, maybe think about Jesus, like consider him every now and then. This word consider means to pay close attention, to fix your eyes or your mind upon He's saying, fix your eyes and your mind on Jesus. There was a tightrope walker named Philippe Petit in 1974 that decided it was a good idea to put a rope across the Twin Towers on the top of them and walk back and forth. I cannot imagine what stirred him to try this, but people have done incredible, incredible feats. I am no tightrope walker. However, I did a little bit of reading, and it talked about how with tightrope walkers, when they are doing that act, in order to succeed, you will notice they are not looking around at their surroundings. They're not looking down. They're not, they are looking at a fixed point in front of them. They are walking towards the goal, the other side. That's how they get there. He's saying, consider, fix your eyes on Jesus. In every stage of life, with every up and down, with every experience, fix your mind, your heart, your eyes on Jesus the whole way. Consider Jesus. He's the apostle and high priest of our confession. Let's talk about apostle, high priest, and our confession for a second. He's the apostle. Apostle means sent one. Jesus, God the Son, was sent into the world 
by God the Father. It was in unity. They didn't have a different idea about this. It was planned from eternity ago. The Son would enter into the world. The Father would send the Son. And there's many verses that talk about Jesus explaining, the Father has sent me, and I do the will of my Father. Let me give you one example. John chapter 6, 38 through 40. He says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father. What's the will of his Father? That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus was sent by God into the world to rescue his people. How do I know I'm rescued? How do I know I'm, his, I'm, I'm part of the family of God? Look to the Son and believe in him. Consistent message throughout it. Confess your sins. Believe in Jesus. It really is that simple. Ask him to be your Lord and your Savior. And welcome to the family of God. Watch what he does in your life. He's the apostle. He was sent into the world. Sent by God to represent God to humanity. But he's also, it says here, consider Jesus, the apostle, and high priest of our confession. As our high priest, he identifies with us and he represents us to God. As the apostle, he represents God to humanity. As the high priest, he represents humanity to God. It's fitting for the founder of our salvation to be fully God, fully human. Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. What does he, what does he mean here by of our confession? He's not talking about now, all of a sudden, just change your mind to thinking about just confessing your sins. <laughs> you know, talking about the, the wrongs that you've committed. When he's saying the, of our confession, it's a, it's a creedal type of word. A proclamation of what we believe, of what our faith is in. We confess Christ, as in we believe in him, we proclaim him. That's what he means by of our confession. And I'm going to swing back to that phrase at the end of the message Today. He's the apostle and high priest of our confession, of what we believe and proclaim to be true. So, in this first verse, he's reminding us of where we've been so far. Consider what has been revealed so far. And then comes the comparison and the contrast between Christ and Moses. And remember, respect your heroes, but worship God alone. In verses 2 to 6, we see the comparison and the contrast of Christ with Moses. Let me refresh your memory. I'll start at verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. And then verse 2. Who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. So I want to talk about Moses. I want to talk about this comparison of servant and son, and then created and creator. So first, let's talk about Moses. Why does he bring up Moses 
in the first place. And this gets back to the question of, of heroes. Who did the Hebrews have a great admiration and respect for? Who would many of them have said was their hero? I think Moses likely would have been the answer for many of them. Because there's no, I don't think it's possible to exaggerate the importance of Moses in Judaism. Is it possible to exaggerate his, his um, involvement, the way that people respected Moses and the way that he was used by God? I'm not sure. Because let's talk a little bit about Moses and how the people would have thought about him. Moses was, in a sense, sent by God, right? He was sent in an apostle-type role. He was sent by God back to Egypt to deliver the Israelites from Egyptian bondage, right? Slavery for 400 years. God knew. God heard. God sent Moses to go and to deliver his people from bondage. He ends up through Moses displaying his power through the plagues, through the parting of the Red Sea, that final deliverance from the Egyptians. It's the greatest salvific moment in the Old Testament, the parting of the Red Sea. Seeing, stand back and see the deliverance, the salvation of God is what he tells them. And I got to point out, point out the deliverance of God, that word deliverance, Yeshua, of God, Jesus, already pointing ahead to the greatest exodus that will take place. I'm getting ahead of myself. Stop it. Okay, so Moses, <laughs> sent by God as an apostle to rescue God's people. Moses, known as a prophet. In Deuteronomy 18, prophets spoke God's word to God's people. Real simple. That's If you had to put it in one sentence, what were prophets? They brought God's word to God's people. Moses did that. In Deuteronomy 18, I think it starts in verse 15. I don't always give you the verses. Why don't I do that? Did, are any of you ever noticed that and are annoyed? Why doesn't Pastor Tori give the exact verses? Part of the reason, I, I want you to go and look at it. <laughs> I want you to go to the chapter and maybe you'll read something else and learn something else about it. That's a little side note, just so you know why I do that. Anyway, Deuteronomy 18, Moses says, God will raise up another prophet like me. Moses was a prophet, spoke God's word to God's people. What else about Moses? He was known as a friend of God. While the Israelites were terrified to approach God at Mount Sinai, Moses went to God representing the people. Spoke to God, it says, as a face-to-face, -face, as a friend speaks with a friend. And that gets into the, his priestly role. He's identified as a priest, specifically in a psalm, but we see in Moses' life priestly-type functions. He serves at the altar. He confirms the Mosaic covenant named after him to the people after, after the Exodus. He serves in a priestly role. He's never called specifically a king, However, you see in his life and what he does, there's kingly functions in Moses' life as he serves the people of God. He judges the, the harshest case were brought to Moses, a kingly-type function. He raises, appoints leaders within the people. He leads them. He, he rules in that way. There's kingly functions in Moses' life. And if all of that isn't enough, the fact that he was sent by God, a friend of God, priestly, kingly, if put all of that aside... On top of all that is the fact that he wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, at least the vast majority of it, Moses. So who better, put yourself in Hebrew shoes for a second, who better to turn to to live a godly life than Moses? Of course he'd be many of their heroes. Understand, this is, this is really the driving point here, how tempting it may have been 
for the Hebrews listening to this message, the letter to the Hebrews, the exhortation to the Hebrews, at the time when they're experiencing, they've already experienced persecution, we see hints that it's coming again, and we'll get to that later, for them to be tempted to revert back to what they had believed. Not that it was wrong what they believed before, but to go back to the, the, to the Torah, to the temple, to Judaism, and to leave, forsake Jesus as their primary authority and primary teacher. The temptation was there. It was real. The temptation to, to make a teacher more than just a teacher, but someone they base their life off of for Moses. There's an interesting, there's a really interesting verse in the book of Jude. And someone mentioned this in Tribe. Um, uh, I think it was Daniel. He said, there's a passage in Jude that talks about after Moses died, there's the, it says that Satan tried to get the body. It's a really kind of a strange verse. And I think, it, I think it's there, and based on some of the things I've read about it, because Satan knew the temptation, the, the, how quick we are to, to worship something that's not God. And maybe he wanted to get the body of Moses to use it as a way that the people of Israel at the time would worship Moses, even deceased Moses, rather than the God, the true God. It's, it's easy for us to be tempted to worship and to, to base, we might not even call it that, but to really have the primary authority in our life be someone other than God. Think about your own life. Who are the people that you have a lot, maybe for good reasons, respect for, that you honor, that share wisdom with you, that care about you? There's a healthy respect there. It's a healthy reverence. We have a lot to learn from people further along in the faith than us. We can learn from each other, but don't let it get beyond a healthy kind of relationship. Don't see them more than the way that, that we're supposed to, in, in a temptation to think, if they say I'm okay, I'm definitely okay. If they teach this, it has to be 100% like gospel truth, and you don't go back to the word, and you don't go back to, to God in prayer and that primary relationship of authority of God and not any person. We're about to get into this comparison of servant and son. But before we do, I also want to point out that the author, the speaker, he's not trying to diminish or look down on Moses, but instead put him in the proper perspective, in the proper place in the story. It reminds me a bit when we talked about Jesus is better than the angels, and Pastor Daniel pointed out, it wasn't to diminish the, the wonder and the greatness of these beings, these angels that God has made, but to put them in the proper perspective. We may at times go, go down the wrong trail and start being um, so fascinated with angels that we, that we don't talk about or think about God, but he's saying angels are fascinated with God. And even the angel that we read about that's the highest of the hierarchy, Michael, his very name, Michael, Mikael, means who is like God, pointing to God himself. So the proper perspective of Moses. There's a comparison that he starts with of servant um, and son. Moses was a servant. He served as um, a representative to the people of God and served them well. He starts off by saying he was faithful to all God's house. This is an allusion to Numbers 12. I'm going to read that for you real quick. Verses 6 through 8. Speaking of Moses, he says, hear my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. 
this special, unique kind of relationship that God had with Moses as Moses served the people of God. It says in Exodus 40, Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him to do. And that was more than just share the Ten Commandments. There were 613 of them. And on top of that, there were all of these instructions about how to know God, how to represent God, how to worship God at the time under the covenant that God was giving to them, including constructing a tabernacle that had a crazy amount of details. Sometimes I think to myself a little envious of Moses and what he saw and what he experienced. And other times I think if I was on that mountain getting all these instructions about the tabernacle and the cubits and the length of the curtain, and I'd be like, there's no way I'm doing this right. You, got, you definitely got the wrong person. But Moses heard all of that and he served the people in the way that God called him to do with all of those specific instructions. He was an exemplary servant, not a perfect one. In fact, he does not represent God um, specifically in a way he's supposed to, that leads him to, it's a, a sin that leads him to not entering into the promised land, which is an incredible fact, which we'll talk about later. But he was an exemplary servant of God to the people of God. Not perfect, but exemplary. Jesus, however, was the perfect servant. And Moses' dedication and obedience as a servant pointed to the servant, who we don't just revere, but worship. Who didn't just lead us to God, but who is God. He's the suffering servant that Isaiah talked about. Isaiah 53 says, Out of the anguish of his soul he will see and be satisfied. By his knowledge will the righteous one, my servant... Make many to be accounted righteous, and he will bear their iniquities. This is the servant who suffered for the sins of his people and who makes it possible for his people to be right with God. The servant, the perfect one who always represented God in exactly the way he was supposed to, who served and who brought and is making the family of God. There's good reasons to revere Moses, a hero of the faith, but don't worship him. There's people in our lives that we can have reverence for and a good degree of trust for, but not to elevate to the place above the Lord. First, he compares Moses and Jesus in regards to faithfulness, but then there's a contrast between Moses and Jesus when it comes to glory. Look again at verse 3. For Jesus has been counted more worthy of glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. So here's where the, where the contrast happens. Of glory. Moses is described as a faithful servant in God's house. Jesus is the son of God over God's house. Moses was described as building, building up the foundation of the faith, but Christ is what the faith is all about. Moses was a prophet speaking God's word to God's people, but Jesus is the very word of God. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
Moses was a big part of constructing the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God with his people. But Jesus, as it says in John 1, was the word made flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. It's God with us. Moses served in in a priestly role, serving at the altar, but Jesus laid down his life as a perfect sacrifice on the altar. Moses was used by God to part the Red Sea, the biggest salvation event of the Old Testament. But the greater exodus was coming where Jesus would lead his people in victory and triumph over sin, death, and the devil. After the exodus, Moses' sister, Miriam, led the people in a song called the Song of Moses to praise God for his deliverance and rescuing that nation and his honor and his glory. In Revelation 15, however, because of the deliverance of Jesus, not just one nation, but all nations sing of the wonder and the glory of the God who has delivered them. Moses provided water for the people by striking a rock, the physical needs that they had in a miraculous way. But Jesus gives water that will not fade. He was struck to provide water that bubbles up to eternal life, that's satisfying and enduring. Moses prayed and bread came from heaven, manna, to feed the people. Well, Jesus is the bread of heaven that gives life, eternal life, to his people. Moses was part of the people of God. Jesus created the people of God. While Moses was part of the people of God, Jesus made the people of God. And what the author's saying here, there's more, so much more glory and honor reserved for the creator rather than the created. Inventions can be really impressive things. Created things can be extremely impressive. I was looking at some list of inventions over time. I'm going to list some of them. The magnifying glass. I don't know how they did that. The light bulb, batteries, refrigerators, the printing press, computers, the internet, engines, jet planes, medicines like penicillin, MRIs, incredible inventions over time by people. However, as incredible as those inventions are, the people who made them are far more impressive. Ask any a biologist or people that know the human body, and the brain, people are far more impressive than any inventions that they have made. And yet, who made people? God did. God created people. And the creator is infinitely greater than his creation, no matter how impressive the creation is. It's a proper perspective of Moses that the author is trying to portray to the Hebrews and to us. He's not saying toss out the Torah or the Old Testament, but put it in the proper perspective of God's story. In fact, Jesus said in John 5, if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Respect your heroes, but worship God alone. And that leads to the final verse, this admonition to press on, to carry on in the faith. Verse 6, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. He calls us the household of God. God indwells his people. There's multiple passages that talk about that from 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Timothy 3, 1 Peter 2. I'm going to read that one. It says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house 
to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He indwells his people. The church is his house. And whether we like it or not, and whether we live it out or not, as, as we are part of God's family, he is working in, in us as the house, the temple, the tabernacle of God. Christ is faithful over his house. He's faithful over his family, his people. He owns, rules, provides, and knows what's best for us. So hopefully the reminder of that will help us press on with this last part of the verse. We are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Lastly, hold on. It's not the first time and it's not the last time there's going to be some kind of exhortation here to keep pressing on. Chapter 10, verse 23, he's going to say, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. As we set our eyes, our mind, our hearts on Christ, he keeps us, he protects us, he preserves us. We confess him. He's the confession of our hope. I want to read to you what N.T. Wright said about confession. I like this definition of it. What we proclaim to be true. Confession means, he says, owning up to believing in the Christian message and belonging to the Christian movement. Yes, I believe Jesus is God's Messiah and was raised from the dead. Yes, I believe all God's purposes and promises came true in Jesus. Yes, I belong to the family that Jesus regards as his brothers and his sisters, whether that is met with a cheer or a snarl. Yes, we belong to him. And that's true. Confessing Jesus as our hope, as the one sent for us, as the one that represents us, as our Lord and our Savior, that's true of Christians, not just in one stage of life but throughout our life. For true believers, that's something we confess until the day we die. (laughs) These admonitions are heard and obeyed by the people of God as we fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, I said at the beginning, an interesting question to think about is like, who is your hero? Who are the, the list of heroes you've had over your life? And maybe, maybe similar for you, the older I get, the list of heroes, or at least the way I thought about them, is getting a bit smaller. Yes, they can be great examples, and we can revere them in healthy ways, but no one is anywhere near perfect. As James says, we all stumble in many ways, and hopefully as we mature and Christ continues to work in us as the house of God, we begin to realize more and more, as the Apostle Paul said, I'll paraphrase it, I am the worst guy that I know. He says, I'm the chief of all sinners. It's not just that the list of heroes around us, for us, gets smaller, but we realize how much work is needed in our own hearts, in our own lives, how far we fall short of God and his intentions for us as humans. But at the same time, while our list gets smaller and while we realize the brokenness in ourselves, we have this comfort and we have this hope and we have this confession 
that the only one, without an innumerable amount of flaws, Jesus, is better and worthy of continuing to follow, believe, confess, hope in until our last day. And that same God is so in love with us that he was willing to be crushed by the infinite weight of the Father's holy hatred of evil. He died for us. That's our hero. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for the people that you put in our life that we do and should respect and look up to and admire and want to imitate and model. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But God, there were ways that he didn't fully imitate you, and there's ways that people we look up to and respect that stumble in many ways. And not everything they say is gospel truth, but your gospel is gospel truth. (laughs) You are the truth, the way, and the life. We can trust you with everything that you say. Help us, God, to see you for who you truly are, to worship you and you alone. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.